This is the Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Hello Charles and welcome to another episode on our podcast. We've had you many times over and uh, we're glad to have you again. Um, So tell us about this new saint that we're talking about today. Talking about St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, or Avila, I've heard people pronounce it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Jimmy Aiken or a different <laughs> apologist. He pronounced things strange, so he throws me for a loop. But St. Teresa of Avila, uh, and she is one of the few female doctors of the church. So when you're uh, uh, named a doctor of the church, that means you've taught teachings on the faith that are so important that really all the faithful should pay attention to everyone should know something about what you have to teach. You know, there's only, I think on last count, I think there was like 20 doctors of the church. Mm-hmm. So, and I think only a handful of them are female, maybe four or five. Yeah. So she's, she's a very, very important saint. And, uh, you know, we all should know more about her, including myself, because like I told you in the pre-show, uh, <laughs> I really, you know, I, I kind of heard about her and I wanted to read, some of her writings when I was an RCIA, mm-hmm. but a few people in real life and on the internet told me, oh no, that's too, too you know, that's that's uh, postgraduate reading, basically. You're still mm-hmm. in elementary school, you know, <laughs> as far as Catholicism goes. So maybe you leave her for a later time, and then, uh, so maybe I'll start getting into her more now. Yeah. We had a guest last week, uh, Connie Rossini, who, who is writing a commentary on her life. And uh, she describes her as the saint of uh, contemplative prayer. Uh, but before we go into all that, um, tell us a little more about the the life, the, the early life of um, this saint. Uh, she was born in Avila, uh, what is now Spain, but at the time it was Castile, the king of Castile. And she was born in 1515. So if you know history... That was just a couple of years before Mark Luther decided to have his little party up in Germany. <laughs> uh, so she grew up. She she grew up in kind of that tumultuous Reformation, Counter Reformation. You know, all that time, Europe was being torn apart by by all these things going on. Spain was kind of somewhat insulated from it. You know, they they didn't have as much going on in Spain as did like France, Germany, the Low Countries, England. You know, all that kind of northwestern Europe. But there was still a lot of um, Protestant influence in Spain that had to be fought against. And, uh, you know, there was an Inquisition and everything. And Teresa ended up herself later in life being called in front of the Inquisition. So, uh, yeah, she grew up in a very tumultuous time in in what is now Spain. And uh, she joined the Carmelite order. So her mother dies in 1529. And then her, she she actually doesn't want to become a nun, is it? Yeah, she she was very drawn, from what I understand, of her early early life, like childhood. Mm. She was very devout and very religious. But then her mother dies, and I guess it was just kind of one of them things. You know, they say when a parent dies. My experience is myself. I was a lot older than she was. Mm-hmm. My father died when I was twenty. Uh, 28 years old mm-hmm. and it either pushes you away from god yes. or draws you closer to god yes you know it's one of the things it's like i i've known people that have lost children 
that has completely destroyed them mm-hmm. or they've lost children and they basically like go on hyperspeed towards sanctity, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's a lot of times it's one or the other because it changes your life forever. Yes. Yeah. And you can either allow it to shape you for the better or it can destroy you basically. Mm-hmm. And it didn't destroy her, but it kind of, kind of caused a separation, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And she didn't, she didn't want to join the convent. She ended up joining it anyway, though, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she wanted to join the uh, the Carmelites, and she didn't like what she was seeing in the Carmelites. She didn't like there was you know there was a cloister rule mm. in uh, monastic orders where they're kind of kept apart, kept aside. Yeah, uh, you know, cloistered means to be like set apart, set aside, and they weren't really obeying that rule. There was visitors so much every day. There was all kinds of visitors into the convent, and that it became like they were just living in the town with the people. So what is the point of saying we're cloistered if we're not really cloistered, mm. you know? And that was, that wasn't even one of the main, the major problems. That was just one of the things that really got on her nerves and really bugged her. And so she decided to start her own religious order that was more of a strict observance, more mm. of a, more of a back to the basics, more of the monastic fathers, like the, uh, the desert fathers that you read yeah, about yeah. in there early, 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 like the fathers of monasticism, she kind of decided to go that way and reform the whole Carmelite order. So was she successful? Because it says that she had many attempts and, and she failed in the beginning at doing this. Yeah, well, resistance. You try to, uh, try to change anything, you know, <laughs> there's, there's going to be resistance. Think about in your own parish, if you've ever seen in your own parish, yeah. like they decide to change the style of the altar linen. <laughs> for some reason there's gonna be somebody that like decides this is the hill they're gonna die on <laughs> you know and like they'll go to war for them all yeah you know it the there's people that resist change whether good bad or indifferent just i don't know why but just to resist it like i i myself i don't like change too much i like things the way they are I like, uh, my dad used to always call me, uh, if you ever seen that movie, Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, when they wanted to drop the one bank, and he said, where is the old bank? I like the old bank. <laughs> you know, like, just, you like things the way they are. I, uh, I, I'm somewhat reluctant to change, but if something, if it's a change for the better, I'll go along with it. I'll at least hear it out the reasons for it. There's some people, though, that will not change whatsoever. Mm. And so she tried reforming this order that had been around for, you know, the Carmelites had been around for, I think, I want to say going on four or five hundred years at this point, right? They're one of the older orders in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And so she comes around in the mid six, early 16th century. And they're like, who are you that you're going to tell us, you know, it's also that kind of thing. Like you're new here. Well, I, yeah. I get this sometimes as a convert to Catholicism. I've actually had people tell me, well, what do you think? You know, everything, you know, I've been a Catholic for 55 years. And I went, and I usually say, well, then you should know better. Mm. You know, <laughs> when yeah. they tell me things like that, like, I don't know everything. No, obviously I don't know everything. I'm a human. But yeah. I've, been, I've only been at this for a few years, and I'll tell you that. Yeah, I've been a Catholic for three years. But, you know, if you've been a Catholic for 55 years, and I tell you that the, the Eucharist is a real presence of Christ, and you dispute me on that, mm. that doesn't mean that you're right just because you've been around for so long. That means yeah. you should have known this years ago. Yeah. yeah. You know? So she comes along and she's, you know, she's trying to reform things. And really, with hindsight, and we're outsiders, you know, we're not Carmelites. So mm. we don't have, uh, I'm not a Carmelite. So I don't have a dog in the fight. 
And so from the outside, we look at it and say, like, well, she was right. She wanted to reinforce the, the rule about cloistering. She wanted to get rid of kind of the egotism that was going on around there. She wanted to get rid of owning property, you know, like where you give up everything to join the order. She yeah. wanted to really kind of enforce that. And so everything was community. And you're choosing to join this community, so join it and do the rules the way they're supposed to be. And she just got a lot of pushback from that until uh, she had a couple of, I believe it was either the provincial, the, the province for that order, or the vice provincial. He kind of came and went to bat for her. Okay. And so then things died down. She started, started being able to implement some of these reforms. And following this, like she were, she was admired by King Philip. She was um, admired by a lot of people. And uh, what I've read about her is that she was a very charismatic person. Um, someone like um, St. Ignatius of Loyola, where they were well-spoken and very charming people. But then you read about the fact that she was a contemplative and it's the exact opposite of of what she was. So what is the theory of this contemplative life that she kind of brought into existence and and what did she write about it? Most famous for her book, The Interior Castle. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying earlier, I uh, I want I, I went to read this book. I, I it was it's considered like one of the greatest works of yeah. uh, Christian literature, you know. Mm-hmm. And I went to read it when I was in RCIA, and I was asked online like what's some good books to read. And I, you know, people will tell you everyone's an expert online, so I was getting all these recommendations from all these people with their Facebook doctorates. <laughs> and uh, I got told that the interior castle was you know postgraduate level reading. I was on kind of more of an elementary school level because I was an RCIA, so. I was getting ahead of myself, basically, and don't bother and say, over your head. So it kind of kind of scared me away from it, you know, because basically I was told it's too heavy for you, you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now, you know, the last couple of weeks, I've been actually kind of taking a little bit of the time and reading some of it, and really, I wish I had have read it years ago. You know? mm-hmm. I wish I had read the whole thing years ago and then went over it again more recently, mm-hmm. because it really is, uh, and I haven't read the whole thing, I haven't even read part of it, but just... The little bits that I have read really are filled with so much for good reason. And uh, so she she wrote Interior Castle on her contemplative life, right? So she said that she imagined the soul, the human soul, was this uh, like clear, I think she called it a diamond. Mm-hmm. And there's seven matches or seven chambers or realms, or it was translated as mansions. And uh, she said, uh, she made a reference to, uh, in, I believe it's Matthew, Jesus said, at my father's house are many mansions. Mm. So each basically is a detachment. Each room, as you progress further and further into this, this your soul, this castle, Right, because so you're you're supposed to be strong and withstand the attacks of the devil. And as you venture deeper and deeper into the castle, you become more and more detached from worldly things, from sin and vice, and more and more attached to what should be at the center mm. of the castle, that is God Himself. So as deeper in, you get more detached, and each room shuts off more of the outside world. Kind of like if you look at old Gothic 
cathedrals, mm. you know, inside, from the outside, the stained glass just looks like glass. Like if you look at Notre Dame before, yeah. before the fire, if you look at the outside, it just looked like, it didn't look any different than regular glass. But inside, it was beautiful, bright colors, you know, or on the outside of them, Gothic churches had gargoyles and, like, yeah. grotesques and all these, you know, to show that the outside of the church is evil and worldly, not that matter is evil, agnosticism, but the devil and the world and the flesh is outside. But once you enter into the church, then inside is beauty and light, goodness. You know, and so that was what her her teachings was in the spiritual life from outside the castle completely. So the first room, the second room, the third room, and then each one is by the grace of God, you're being pulled further and further in to the interior castle, to your interior con- contemplative life of gazing upon christ mm. and so how does um we we did this last week uh, where we talked about how we become contemplatives and it's a lifelong experience but for ordinary people how is it that or what is it that we can learn from saint Teresa, um and and especially her work on on contemplative prayer which is difficult and um depends on each person's journey wherever they are um, so how does one go about emulating her? Admittedly, I speak Catholic with a Protestant accent. You know? <laughs> so I, I still kind of, I get confused all the time between contemplative and meditative. Because to me, you know, just right off the bat, if you said what's the difference between contemplating and meditating, I'd say there's no, you know, there is no difference. Mm. It's the same thing. But in... In the life of prayer, according to the church, it is a difference. Yeah. So it's been it's been a, a prayer has been a long learning for me personally. You know, when I was uh, I don't know if I ever told you this before. When I, I was in RCIA, uh, I think it was Bill said, "Do you pray to everyone?" Not to me in particular. But said, "Do you pray to everyone?" And everyone was like, "Yeah, I here and there." And I got thinking about it. Like I said, yes. You know, I, I was a Christian. I had been a Christian my whole life. I pray. But when I started thinking about it, I didn't really have a life of prayer. You know? Mm. Set aside time for prayer. I didn't have a set style of prayer. I didn't have a, a rhythm of prayer. I didn't have anything, mm. really. I, I just, sometimes I would say, grace before a meal, if it looked kind of like a... a you know, a dicey restaurant. <laughs> if the restaurant was dodgy, I, I didn't want to get food poisoning, so I'd say grace before a meal. Like, that would remind me, you know, just a regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill restaurant. I wouldn't. But if I went in somewhere, like, oh, man, this place definitely, the cook didn't wash his hands. Mm. I would say a prayer. Uh, I would say a prayer, you know, if I was driving down the road and it started snowing, like, oh, man, I better pray right now. Dear Jesus, get me home safe. So things like that. But did I really... Was I, no, I wasn't a prayer. I wasn't a, uh, in a prayerful relationship with God. And then he continued in RCIA and said, if you're not praying, how how are you relating with God? Like God is, you know, God's standing here. Stay standing here right beside you. And you're refusing to have a conversation with him. You're on your phone, you're watching a movie, you're doing whatever. What kind of relationship is that? You know? And then secondly, he said, St. Augustine said that a a Christian without prayer is like a bird without wings. Mm. So, wings, it's a pretty useless creature. And a Christian without prayer is the same way. So I started kind of getting that regular habit of praying at that point. And I didn't even know then that there was 
there's three types of prayer. Mm. Uh, you know, there's vocal prayer, which is what, you know, when you think of when you say like grace before meals mm. or thank God for things or like, a, it's kind of more of like a conversation. And there's meditative prayer, and that is uh, uh, like if you're studying scripture, you're praying with scripture, uh, like Yoda Vina, things like that, or uh, even singing, I guess, could be meditative. I don't know if that would be vocal or meditative. Probably a combo of the two. And then contemplative prayer is when you just kind of, St. Teresa explained it as a loving gaze. Yeah. So that ever be with a friend. And you go out with a friend and you go wherever and you just kind of sit there and you're just, and you're ever going to visit someone in the hospital and you don't have to say anything to them. You don't have to read a book to them. You can just kind of be there. You know, it's really at the essence of the soul from my personal understanding. Like I said, it's, it's Catholicism with the, you know, my, my background in Protestantism. So this is my personal understanding of contemplative prayer where i'm at personally mm-hmm. with it is we're obviously the patient and god's visiting us in the hospital mm-hmm. and he's just sitting there holding our hand and that's contemplative prayer so how to do contemplative prayer is a whole different you know there's eucharistic adoration i think would probably be my favorite very uh, form of it and they're just going in because when i first started doing eucharistic adoration too i i didn't even know that was a thing until I think it was after RCI. I hadn't even heard of it before. Mm. And so of all the things I studied and learned about, about Catholicism, read about, I'd never even heard of Eucharistic Adoration until a friend of mine said, are you doing adoration? Mm. And I was like, what's that? And so he explained it to me, and I went and I found out that not only did my church have adoration, but I had it a lot. Mm. And now they've got a whole adoration chapel and everything. And I would go and say, like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, that was the question is, what do I do while I'm here? Do I do this? Do I do that? Do it? And someone said, just go and sit and be with Jesus. Mm. And so I have yeah, the urge when I go into Eucharistic adoration, there's the monstrance, there's our Lord on the altar. I want to do something. You know, so I'll read, I'll read a few scriptures or I'll say some prayers. Or, but then I always end up just sitting there for however long and just kind of, you know, like that. Teresa said, just kind of just sit mm. presence. And that's what contemplative. So, uh, would you suggest that people should go on and read? Um, because last, Connie Rossini was saying, you know, it's, it's a very difficult book. Um, but I think at some point we all need to be reading this. So, uh, would you say you should start reading The Interior Castle? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna try to tackle it myself. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. It's like you know, a lot of people shy away from a lot of the spiritual classics because they think it's too difficult. Mm. But it's you know, it's not too difficult. It, it it's there for us, and it's it's you know, if we don't try, yeah. how are we gonna ever? You know, how are we gonna ever? You know, that's too difficult. I'll wait until I'm more spiritually mature until <laughs> I read. You know, City of God, or uh, Imitation of Christ, or the Interior Castle, or whatever. Well, you're just going to be waiting forever because we're never going to be perfected here on Earth. You know, yeah, you know? Yeah. that's what you know. We get perfected in heaven. We're perfect in heaven here on Earth. We're all going to be flawed human beings with an understanding. So 
you just got to do the best you can. And I don't think, I don't think it's beyond the comprehension of anyone really. I think if, if you're willing to read it and you're willing to pray beforehand, pray beforehand, read it, have that part of your meditative prayer, you know, reading this book, and then just sit there and, you know, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to kind of reveal to you what it is you need to learn from this book. And you'll get it. And uh, we could have made this episode far more complicated, but th- that's the reason why we've stuck with very simple questions, because uh, I don't want people to shy away or be afraid of St. Teresa because um, her work is difficult. And I don't think it is. It just depends on how you look at it and where you are on your spiritual journey. So it's open to interpretation wherever you are. Right. I know... Um, that she had some struggles personally in terms of prayer, um, in terms of um, with simplicity, with ego, with with all these. So, do you have any uh, anything on that uh, as far as overcoming those worldly struggles and attaining simplicity and selflessness? Yeah, I actually heard uh, overcoming worldly struggles. <laughs> That's fun. That's what I need to, I need to overcome myself. I, I struggle with all kinds of different things. So I find myself uh, confessing the same things over and over again, it seems like. And uh, Scott Hahn said the one time he, he was frustrated and he told his priest that he was, uh, he was tired of confessing the same sins over and over again. And the priest said, well, you want me to get, you don't want new sins to confess? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but at least you're confessing and at least you know you know what I mean? You're, you're being yeah. convicted of it. You're thinking, I need to go to confession. So you're on the right path. Uh, overcoming worldly struggles, you got to do the opposite, basically. If you have a hard time with with unforgiveness, you have to go out of your way to purposely be merciful towards people. You know, if you have a... There's all... I think, was it Aquinas or Augustine that, that said... I think it was Aquinas. For every vice, there's a virtue, mm-hmm. you know? So you got to find the alternate virtue for that vice that you're struggling with mm. and practice that. Put that into practice. So practice mercy. Practice all these different things that are the opposite of the vice you have. I have no more questions because there's a lot of her book on contemplative prayer, but I just don't know what to ask. <laughs> so, uh, it's where do you begin? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really. That's why I said she's she's difficult to explain, but not difficult to understand. If that makes sense. Mm, yeah, yeah, and it's very individual based. I it mean, is. Yeah. Yeah. Each person gets something different out of it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you. Any last thoughts on on Saint Teresa? I think yeah. I think we need to set aside specific time and place for prayer every day mm. uh, i like to either late very late at night because you know, i've got three kids and it's just crazy in the house and i don't get a minute to think but late at night like around midnight everyone's asleep i'm the only person awake and then i can have time to pray and you know do some spiritual reading and stuff like that my wife she's the exact opposite she wakes up an hour before she gets the kids up for school okay. and it's quiet and she reads her Bible, and she reads a devotional, and she prays. So that's her time. you got to find your own personal time. It might be middle of the day during your lunch break. It might be at night. It might be in the morning, whatever. 
I mean, they set aside a specific start with five minutes and crank it up from there. But if you don't start, you'll never, you know, like you say, like, I don't have time to pray an hour a day. Well, no, especially since you're not praying at all. Yeah. <laughs> start with 30 seconds in our father and take it from there and just kind of build upon that. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta, you gotta set aside time. And then I think it was, I was listening to Bishop Barron and I think it was Bishop Barron. It was either Bishop Barron or Fulton Sheen. Mm-hmm. I remember to, uh, a clip and it was talking about when you're praying and you have uh, distractions, right? Mm-hmm. And you try to shun and like chew away the distractions. They've already won. Yeah. Just just keep praying. Don't try to, you know, like when you get something coming to your mind, you're like, oh, no, and you try to force it out of your mind. No, don't even do that. Just don't even entertain it at all. Because the devil, the world, and the flesh, the three enemies of the Christian life, is going to try to interfere. Anytime you try to set, a time, set aside time for God, you'd be surprised. You know, like nobody's awake at midnight and I'm going to be praying. My son will wake up for no reason and start screaming that he wants juice. <laughs> My toddler. I'm like, why are you awake? You just went to sleep a couple hours ago. So it will, like, there's going to be distractions. There will be a fire truck parked right outside your house. Mm-hmm. There's going to be different things. You just got to just keep on going. Keep on, keep rolling. Don't even stop to entertain the distraction because then the distraction's already won. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother had this uh, idea. I mean, her idea of contemplative prayer is a bit different. And of late, um, she's understood this as taking the Lord with you everywhere you go. You know, so um, her idea of contemplative prayer is is taking the the biblical verse where you pray without ceasing. But instead of that, you contemplate Jesus with you all the time. Like he's sitting with you on the bus, uh, taking him to work with you. Um, and, and, and that's a different idea because I realized that when you feel him close to you, your behavior changes, the words coming out of your mouth changes because you're constantly thinking, Oh, he's watching me. So that's her idea of, uh, contemplative prayer. And I think everybody has a different definition for this. Uh, and also too, you gotta be careful too, with the modern, there's kind of this modernist, uh, idea of contemplation where you kind of uh, like transcendental meditation you know <laughs> yeah. where you just empty yourself out and it's just a complete emptying of self and emptying where there's absolute nothingness mm-hmm. the point of christian prayer whether vocal prayer uh, meditative prayer or contemplative prayer is focusing on what should be the center of your life and that mm-hmm. is christ yeah so you're supposed to meditate and like your mother said take her with you because Jesus is with you at all times. Mm. So just even just recognize the fact that he's there, you know, yeah. and that I think that's a great idea. And it just when you do like when you're meditating, if you're doing meditative prayer and you're you're reading scripture and you're doing Lectio Divina, you're not emptying yourself out. That mm. that type of meditation isn't Christian. That's that's new age mumbo jumbo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't do that. If anyone does like centering prayer. Yeah. Centering prayer on yourself. You're not supposed to center on yourself. You're mm-hmm. supposed to center on the center of the universe, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. You know? So that's supposed to be your center. Find your center. If he's your center, that's fine. But if your center is self or emptiness, it's not right. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, 
Charles, you have a book and uh, one of our uh, listeners, Melissa, I think, yeah, she won uh, one of your books. And uh, yes, and uh, so tell people where they can find your books. Um, tell people where they can find out more about you. You're very active on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so yeah we see you a lot there so tell people all about that yeah i uh, my website is now that i'm catholic.com and uh i wrote a book uh, last year and it's called the beauty of the mass exploring the central act of catholic worship and it's kind of a step-by-step uh exploratory look at the mass and all the, the the words and actions and you know the motions of the priest and the people and what they mean to us, the faithful, and how we can see deeper meanings in it, and how all of it points to Christ, like I said. And uh, that's available on Amazon as a paperback and an ebook, and hopefully in the future we'll have it as an audiobook too. Are you going to be reading it? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking in there right now and setting up my account. I don't know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably read it myself, but i got to see... I'm going to record a couple of, maybe a first chapter and see how it sounds. <laughs> well, you're probably used to it by now since you've been doing podcasting, public speaking, yeah. and the whole lot. Yeah, and it's not, it's not fiction, too, so I don't have to put any inflection in my voice, <laughs> so there's no voice acting, it's just reading, so it should be fine. Yeah. I don't think I can do fiction. And uh, what about Facebook and Twitter? Yeah, on Facebook, I'm, uh, it's uh, facebook.com slash catholicconvert2016, mm-hmm. and... Uh, which obviously was the year I entered the church. And then on Twitter, I'm at uh, now that I'm Catholic. Uh, just now that I'm Catholic on Twitter. Okay. All right. So thank you, Charles, for today. And hopefully we will have you sooner for the next scene. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me.